you're gonna say something, Mikhail. Just that it, that it touches me to hear that, and uh, I'm curious. I'm curious on how, like how, how other people do it. Just because I really like it, and I, I like people sharing the the ways of being on the road without attaching to a community or yeah, being out there. Say what you actually would like to hear about. Mm, I would actually love to hear about ways that work in terms of uh, how how can I not how can I how can I minimize my my taking part in in renting some places or using using still money like not as a bad thing but like how can i how can i i would love to know about ways that work uh, more bridge bridge nano communities and like working practices i'm interested in in exchange on that have you seen the bridge house website bridge dash house Yes, and I've been with Christine in Czechoslovakia, in Czech, Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've been with her, and yeah, I know, know the web, I know the web page. Great. I mean, yeah. I mean what, what, what I mentioned that was a completely new that I really discovered being on the road with Clinton is discovering this guardianship about you know, often the guardianship of a place is, is linked with an ownership. So it's my house, it's my land. And so therefore I take care of it because I've paid for it. And then I want the value to increase. So I need, I take, take care of it so that the value doesn't go away or increases and being on the road, especially, you know, Clinton and I, we don't even have a, a camper van. We just live in our roller bags. So our ownership is really limited but we still get to live in, you know, houses, apartment, hotels, Airbnb, wherever, you know, or communities or friends place. And all of those for me to move in and, and to say, this is my place. I, I, this is my place in a way that I'm, I'm responsible for it. I'm, I'm a guardian for it. It is in my care. I guess that's the best way to say it. It's like this place right now, because I'm, I'm here is in my care. And, and even, I mean, it was, I, I got to the next layer of that when I was invited at my sister's wedding and we were in this uh, big uh, rented place in Paris and, and somebody says, well, where do you live? You know, and I, I said, well, right now it's right here. And, and I, he was asking for explanation. I said, well, I, I care about this place. So I saw some food being on the floor. I picked it up because I didn't want somebody to walk on the food and, and leave a mess. And, and so I care about this place. It's my place. And, I, and I'm a guardian here. Even if I don't have this, no name, my name is nowhere on any paper about anything. But, and I, but I love this place. That's been really, so, you know, for, for me, it was unimaginable to say, I'm going to spend money on making an Airbnb. I'm going to stay for two weeks in 
Like, how crazy is that? I'm going to buy new pots or I'm going to fix the door or I'm going to, you know, put oil, um, WD-40 on the doors because they're, they're, they're squeaking. Well, I can just not move the doors when I'm here. And, and to really learn with Clinton the ecstasy of, no, I want the next person to not have the squeaking doors because this is my place. And I don't want the squeaking doors now, but I also don't want the other, the next person to have that. And, and just, so, Sometimes I go on my Airbnb review and it's, you know, I get really great reviews. So I just have a really good rating on Airbnb. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, thank you for that legend. That's a inspiring way of, of being on the road. I mean, a lot of us, if, if we approach the theme of being on the road, want to sneak by. And in a way, uh, get, you know, do the cheapest thing possible. And it's a survival orientation. And this could invade our daily life, even at work. Or, you know, if you're working in a city and you got a job in some office or some corporation and you go in and you know you're a slave doing whatever they want. And still, and so you're trying to sneak by and do and do the, the cheapest, the least, you know, spend the least energy, spend the least attention, spend the least creative energy, because, you know, but the point is, your life is going by. And that's your life. Whatever the thing is, is happening. And if you're trying to orient yourself towards a survival, a survival relationship with the universe, how, how are your bright principles, how is your archetypal lineage going to put you to work in a generous situation where you're required to be generous and to cause, you know, incomprehensibly valuable results. You know, people can't even pay you for the results. Okay. And that's what your archetypal lineage wants you to do in your relationship, in your life. That's what your archetypal lineage wants you to do. And if you're oriented with a survival skimpiness, stinginess, you know, uh, minimizing your contribution or your costs, so to say, then then you're then you are out of the circuit with your archetypal lineage. It just takes you out of the circuit. I mean, there's this. I was just working on a website called Take a Stand, and there was nothing there before today, really. But it's it's a fabulous thing, and now there's significant enough stuff on there. It's worth reading. But what it's about, one of the things that's amazing is to consider, you know, you can take a stand for someone who is less successful than you or less powerful than you, like a child, you know, or you can take a stand for an, a non-governmental organization, an NGO or something. You can take a stand for the trees. You know, you can take a stand for an ecosystem, things like that. And so, but one of the experiments is to take a stand for somebody who's more powerful than you. Take a stand for somebody who's more successful than you are. And, and try to imagine that. Like, we're, we're, we're kind of oriented towards this jealousy or competition or this status transactions you know, they have a higher status than me. I'm a lower status than them. So I'm going to 
sneak around and get whatever I can or and I'm going to avoid their, you know, I'm trying to like the cat and mouse thing. I'm going to try to get out of their way, whatever. That's our survival orientation. But if you, what happens if you commit, you know, take a stand for this person who's more powerful than you to succeed even better, not necessarily in a, as a gremlin outcome. You know, I'm not saying go to the mafia and say, I want you to murder more people and get more blackmail money out of them. You know, that's not what this is about, but on the other hand, it could be. I mean, you could end up head of the mafia, and then you say, you guys, this game is over. We're just ending the game. We've got a better game called Archiarchy. Okay, we're changing the mafia into Archiarchy. And you guys, we've got amazing things to do. Anyway, <clears throat> but if you take it, if you commit, if you take a stand for the well-being of somebody who's more powerful than you, all of a sudden you're at eye level at the same eye level. You're no longer playing a survival game, you're playing a collaborative creation game, which is like the best game in town. Okay, so what all your life has been keeping you from playing the best game in town? Because you think you don't have resources. You think you're, you need to survive. Okay, well then how's the universe supposed to treat you? Well, it will treat you like a rat. You know, throw you some scraps and try to, whatever. I can't give you a very big job. You're just skimping around like a rat, you know. And this is what you're doing. And so it's, it can only give you rat jobs to do. So the, the possibility is to, is to up the game yourself. You're the one playing a survival game. You don't have to. You, you know, you can play a game where you take a stand for is you know individuals and organizations that are that are bigger than you more powerful than you and you contribute to their out to their success to them being even more wealthy whatever whatever the orientation is and what happens is you're playing at an eye level game and this this is where your full resources get trained up so once your resources are trained up you know Echo's looking at you. It'll just grab you by the scruff neck and just take you somewhere. And you won't even know where you're going next. It'll drop you in a whole other world. So, you know, that's happened to me, I don't know, six or seven times in my life. And it's, it, has that happened to anybody else before? Where you become useful for Echo, they pick you up and drop you in a place that could, you could not have arranged it. You get this? You could not have possibly arranged this for yourself. But if you look backwards, you can see, ah, oh, yeah, if I didn't know how to do this, if I didn't, if I wasn't connected here, if I couldn't, if I didn't take this stand before, I, I would not have been moved into this new condition. So there's ways, you know, they don't tell us this in school or anything, but there's ways that we can prepare ourselves for many fabulous circumstances in our lives including amazing relationships and amazing creation opportunities, collaboration opportunities. So the, I don't, I think anything else I would say right now would be repeating myself, but Mikhail, what about that? That resonates a lot in so many points. Um, I, I can, 
I have a, a, a strong reaction in terms of um, voices that, that say, no, it's not like that. And like a resistance to that sneaking around life with not being part, not taking part and uh, like closing doors for echo with not being right where I want to change and being eye to eye with them instead of, and instead of being eye to eye to them, I, I sometimes have to, I have to story about me about just standing outside and looking instead of taking part with living in a camper van. So what I, yeah, that's what I create a lot. I create a lot, not being part of community, not taking a stand for my bright principles, not holding the rage club I want to hold. And I explore that. It's like, it's my main topic at the moment, seeing what part of that is, is my parent ego state that keeps me, um, in a, I have to do repeat discipline thing. And where is that part that really wants to create, wants to be in society? And, and how can I? Wait, 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 wait. wait. Wants to, to be in society is a piece of thought where you might want to look at. Because wants to be in society is the question is which society? So if there's a society of zombie slaves in, in a sleep state working to support a military industrial med medical complex that's headed by psychopaths and is exterminating life on earth at the fastest possible rate, that's what you want to be part of. So when you say, I want to be part of society. Okay, okay. There are many different societies. In fact, there could be a hundred million societies on earth. hundred million. Every eight people could have their own society. And so why, why, would you, why would you not, why would you choose to support this dinosaur that's already dead? You know, this consuming what's left of anything to eat on planet earth and it's already dead and it's just going around eating the last bits of life around and you're you, you know you want to support that that's what you're saying so you need to be clear about what you're saying because that thing you just said is lethal it'll, uh, it'll make yeah. you hopeless make you hopeless it'll make you want to drive around in a camper van basically saying fuck you to the world but not really doing what you came here to do. What were you going to say? I, I was just throwing yes torpedoes at you. <laughs> I, I don't know if I had that before. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> 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 what am I supposed to do with that? Well, it's, it, it, it hurts in terms of I'm sad because... Yesterday, I read about this being adaptive thing. And, and I have a, a really hard time not to be adaptive, not like not to be in, in the industrial medicinal, how is it called? The, the, 
how to be not in society that doesn't take the first three doors and how how I, I haven't managed yet often to to go when the third door is closed but I go adaptive <clears throat> does everybody get what he's talking about you guys all get that he's I'll, let me just say it in one sentence it's simply a possibilitator is serving yeah, uh, each space as a creative agent and one way to serve is to open up a doorway of possibility but it's been learned empirically it's not a rule but empirically you can open three different doors for somebody and and if they don't go through any of the three doors if you try to open more doors you're trying to manipulate or control or rescue or invade you're trying to change them and that's it doesn't work like that. You open doors, you hold the space, they go through the door or not. And Michael is saying, well, if they don't go through the three doors, then his tendency as a survival strategy is to then go adaptive and try to be a chameleon, like, a, okay, I want to be with you or I want to connect with you or I want to, I want to, and, and then all of a sudden his culture's gone. The one where he can source doorways, it's gone. And he was saying painful is painful. Yeah, it makes me sad. And it makes me sad because I abandon my culture. This is a good word. I abandon my being is another word that where I get goosebumps. I abandon myself. Did I, were we, were we talking last week about where you look when you're creating stuff? Like, let me just say it again. But Okay. And so our tendency is when we want to create possibility in a relationship of any kind, that we look at the person that we're creating the possibility for. And if the person doesn't get it, they do not get it, but they don't go through the door, then we think we have failed because we offered this possibility and they didn't get it for whatever reason. You know, maybe their gremlin doesn't want to get it. Maybe they don't have the matrix to get it. Maybe maybe they're too afraid to get it and they're afraid of their fear. Whatever the thing is, they don't get it. So if you're looking at them making possibility, then you will think you failed. And so the option is when you're creating possibility, don't look at the person. Look at the possibility that you are creating and build it up. Just cause it to grow. You're over here. You are being enthusiastically fed by this possibility that you're creating bigger or clearer than you ever created before. And you're going, oh, my God, I could use this possibility. My team could use this possibility. I could write a book and a website and a movie. I could make a movie script about this possibility. And, and, and they're over here, like, looking at the possibility that you're looking at also. You're getting fed by it. The possibility, the right principles, the space is getting fed because you're looking at that. And, and, and if they get it or not, it doesn't, it's not your problem. It is not your problem. And so what you discover is that if you can create this possibility in this space, even if almost nobody gets it, you're still being successful because the possibility in reality exists and you can use it. And you can share it. 
You can write about it. You can describe it. You can make distinctions. You can make films like that. You can talk about it. And so just a very big difference between where you're looking while you're causing, creating possibility, while you're causing possibility to come into existence about whether you're successful or not. It depends where you look. And so this is a huge, it's, it seems like almost nothing, but it turns out to be a, a useful distinction for a possibilitator. You know, so when I wrote Radiant Joy, Brilliant Love, which turned into Building Love That Lasts, I was in a 25-year committed relationship with the theory that I can just ongoingly create possibility and whatever the other person did with those possibilities didn't really matter because I was creating possibilities. And so this could theoretically go on forever. What eventually hit the fan for me, meaning what, the, what, what became clear through coaching from other people and through uh, serious introspection was that relationships don't die from a lack of love. Relationships die from a lack of intimacy. And if I'm creating possibility and my partner is not creating possibility with me or is in con contravention, however you say it is, um, I'm like engaged in something else besides co-creating these spaces, there's a lack of intimacy. And, and eventually you starve from lack of intimacy, even though there's love, there's kids, there's a nice house, there's, you have a good job or something, you know, and, and you're not beating each other up, there's no alcohol, whatever, you're not, you know, but, but, there, but this, this kind of intimacy is lacking and you start, in a way you're starving yourself. So we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about uh, everything going your way all the time. It's not what we're talking about. But, but in any case, the, so in terms of relating, there's, there's this challenge about, to reflect on, okay, what are you offering? It's not about what are you getting? What are you taking? What are you, what are you trying to get? You know, it's about what are, you, what are you creating and what are you collaboratively creating? And how's that feeding you? And so if you ask some people why, why they get married or have kids or whatever, you get answers like, well, it's a, it's, it's a discount with the taxes if you're married. You know, or if kids, because, well, you know, my mom had kids, and if she didn't have kids, I wouldn't be here. Or, I don't know, you get all these kind of uninspected answers. Like, what's so, so those things do not have to drive your life. You don't have to, those reasons or those traditions don't have to drive your life you can you can get access to other options and choose the other options and so what i'm saying is the 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 opportunity to be in a luscious 
loving, collaboratively creating relationship is, 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 is right in front of us. It's really right in front of us. So that in a way, there does not have to be <clears throat> really even one moment in the day when you are not collaboratively creating an abundance. And it, it doesn't matter who's around you or what the, what the, the logical circumstances are. You know, so Mikhail is driving around in his mobile, you know, his mobile home, whatever. You know, and each of us have our circumstances, our different circumstances. So you can look at the circumstances and, and there's this saying, an aphorism in possibility management. Like if you want to change the outcome and you cannot change your circumstances, then you need to change what's possible. You get that? You're in these circumstances that are rigid, but you want to change the outcome. So you're battling these circumstances that are, are rigid, they can't, they're fixed, they're solid, and you want to change the outcome, Well, it, and you can't change the circumstances, then you change what's possible. And that's your job. So if you're creating a different possibility, it's feeding you, and it's feeding this space, and it's feeding echo and your bright principles and your archetypal lineage, and it's it's working, it's building matrix, it's creating possibility, it's opening doors. It's like that is all working. So, you, so it isn't about waiting around for the circumstances to change. Clinton, a, yes. Can you say a bit more to what is I'm it? I'm talking as fast as I can. I mean, I could say a lot more for five days. I can talk for five days. You, okay, it's, about what? The specific um, moment when you just said you have to create more possibilities if the space is so uh, it's so rigid, and something is a bit in my way to really see what you mean. My victim structure is a bit in a way. <laughs> it gets, it's so much easier to be the victim of the space than of the rigid structures. Maybe you have some hints. Well, do you and like then, it? Hmm? Which part of you likes that? Yeah, a lot of parts, but mainly my Whoa. gremlin. My gremlin, yeah. maybe, yeah, mainly. So that kind of work is called gremlin transformation. I know. Because you know, that's called an I know torpedo. It's different from a yes oh. torpedo. It's called an I know torpedo. <laughs> And I know torpedo comes out and it blows up what says so it doesn't even come into you. Does not even come into you. So you blew this up, what I just said. You blew it up before it could touch you. I know. Okay, gone. Next. Whatever. I already know this. Gone. So so how many of those things should I offer you that, that you're going to blow them up in the space with an I know torpedo? How many should I offer you? One more. One you more. ask for possibilities. Are you actually asking for possibilities? Maybe See, that's your idea. Johannes the Wise from Neu Elm is asking you, are you really asking for possibilities? Yes. You have to answer. <laughs> For what, what I asking? 
Um, I have this victim story. Hold on, hold on. Johannes, do you do you do emotional healing processes? Are you in the emotional healing process team like that? Mm, no, actually not at the time. Okay. Are you in this emotional healing process team? Mm, what do you mean by this? This meaning the study group. Oftentimes in the study group, people are gaining clarity about Okay. Uh, an, op an opportunity for an emotional healing process. And then they say, could somebody please offer me, you know, hold space for me to go through an mm -hmm. emotional healing process. And then one or two people say yes, and then they have an EHP. Are you in that team? No. Okay. The reason I'm saying that is because you have a little clarity right now for mm -hmm. Angela that she doesn't have. And mm -hmm. we're not going to do that process right now. So, Anya, what are you going to say? I would like to share an example that may uh, help in this question. I'm not sure. It, uh, something had happened to me last week. Okay? Um, I was at work. I'm cleaning. And it's, it's a very narrow space I'm in right now. And my victim gets triggered a lot. And I'm just reading the book on conscious feeling. And I'm at that point where you explain uh, the is. You meaning, you meaning Clinton? C Clinton's book, yes. Okay. And I'm, I'm at that. To, if you don't throw around the word you without a name attached, that will help people understand what you're talking about. Because there is no actually overall authoritative you in this space, actually. Okay. But there's probably only one book in the space by uh, conscious feeling. So there's this, there's this uh, part about the is glue. And I was in this process of cleaning and there was this victim and I said, well, I'm, I'm just, I just, I'm not thriving and I'm living a life of not aliveness. I feel like a zombie, like dead. And then I remembered what I had read some hours before. And I did the practice while I was continuing to clean. And suddenly this, this idea that I'm a victim and that, or that, that there is victim and that there's I got apart and that there's non-aliveness and me there, it got apart. And suddenly I, with my whole body's, body's system got that my expression of being of experiencing myself as a as a victim and calling myself non-aliveness is an expression of life in that very moment in that small small tiny now it is an expression of aliveness and i was ah, and was blown away yeah my frozenness my victimhood my non-aliveness was life <laughs> that was a big possibility change and it took place inside and outside there was no change at all I just kept on cleaning I bet the, I bet the mouse the mice enjoyed it and the cockroaches you know I, I bet they could feel this shift of space and going wow what was that they could feel this space shift probably thank you that was very helpful and it was exactly somehow yeah the asking for possibilities, what I 
which I recognize now. Thank you. And now, Anya, thank you for uh, what kind of possibilities. Yay. Yeah, thank you. And Chloe is throwing out a movie. Go ahead. Yeah, it's just, a, it, it's very similar to the story because it's about cleaning. Oh, right. It's about <laughs> changing your relationship to cleaning. It's a very, it's a great movie. It's a film called Jupiter Ascending. Mm. From made the, by the what, Wachowski, Wachowski siblings. Team. Team. <laughs> yeah, it's an adventure for sure. Cool. Well, look, it's, we're on we're on ex- wait, experiment. Wait, what? before you go into the experiment, I I would like to hear from the Bridge House uh, Florianopolis from Andrea and Isabel. Can you give us any reports? Because I also know that you went through a whole expand the box training with Lisa and Sophia McDonough and a whole lab with Cornelius and Lisa. Liquid. <laughs> liquid. Yeah. And and I'm holding space for rage for two rage clubs right now. One German one and one Brazilian one. And all the people in my rage club have the uh, topic with don't say what what I need <laughs> and uh, don't put limits and yeah use use my anger to to express what I need. For example, yesterday we went shopping and still in my system. I sensed can I can I can I buy this or do I have to talk with Lisa Sophia Magdalena and I I just stopped and cried because it's yeah because um there's so much things that I'm learning right now and I'm I'm so thankful. And I'm I'm grieving about how I lived my life. So important. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Thank you for asking, Chloe. I feel very liquid also. And going back and forth between liquid state and swamp. my process right now is it it relates a lot with what you were saying, Clinton, about living in a collaborative create, creative um, dynamic. I feel like it's leaving the the perception of scarcity and disconnection that I have about my life and how do I connect with the present moment? and what's around me and who's around me. And I'm very glad to be in the bridge house with this, although it's a, it's a challenge for me and my box. Yeah. So the news is that there's a bridge house now at Aviva. Is that what you said, Chloe? We're not Where? at Aviva. It's on Florianopolis. Yes. And how many, how many are you? 
right now we are six. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And one person is leaving, and Yule is coming. Cool. Yule Geller. So, yes. Yeah. And Lisa will be coming in back and forth. Folks, you have heard the news. This is a hot news right off the presses. The gossip is flying around here. So thank you for telling us. Andrea, I'm sure this. Oh, sorry, I wanted to come back to what you said about about this swamp. And something that I we've been researching partly in the Rachel Spaceholder training and, and in other spaces about this idea, and maybe Lisa, I've shared it with you, but I, I, I want to share it for the bigger group. This idea of these, like this swamp, these voices of, I'm not good enough. I, I can't, I can't do it. I, I will not manage. I, people are better than me. You know, other people do it better and I, and I fail. It's like, I fail. I'm not good enough. This partly this technology of using this swamp as a distraction for something that you want to avoid. Like it's the swamp is not really real as something. Yes, there might be some emotional healing processes inside of it. But I think there's also a layer of all of this is happening so that you're not looking, you're not being with, you're not putting your attention on whatever is actually happening that you, you want to deny. You actually want to deny. So then it's consumed by this swamp because the swamp is so familiar. Like, you know who you are, Andrea, when your life sucks. Like, when you're miserable, then you know how it goes. You you know the miserable Andrea. But you don't know the ecstatic, collaborative, you know, thriving, um, taking a stand Andrea. And so the one thing to try out that we were trying out in the Rage Club Spaceholder training is whenever these voices come, whenever this, I call it the noise, it's just noise. It's just this white noise and you can't really hear the radio. Like you can't hear your impulses, what you need, you know, what you need, what you want, what is not okay, what is totally okay. Like you can't hear that because it's so loud in there was the swamp, was this noise. And so when the noise come, just, and, and it seems like you can notice the noise, you say, you pause and you say, okay, what am I avoiding by listening to the noise? What is the message that I'm trying to avoid by listening to the noise? And if you pause, like if you breathe and, and sort of, you know, and okay, and not put your attention. It's like you're putting your head in the noise. Like you're putting your head in the swamp. And the idea mm -hmm. is pull your head out and see what's actually waiting for you that you've been trying to avoid. So, I mean, you're feeling some. Do you know what that is? Yes, thank you. Um, what comes right now is that after the ECB and the lab, um, coming out of this space is, I've found myself that it's there's a big part of me that doesn't want to do life. As you said, like it's easier and it's more comfortable to just give up and not even try. And yeah, I'm like I'm being more conscious about being in that swamp because before it was just my 
my constant state, so I didn't even know there was something else. Now I'm like oscillating. And yeah, as you said, like I, I have ways of getting my head out of the swamp. And I'm also observing how much is that um, pushing myself out of the swamp and like, yeah, kicking my ass out. I just want to, maybe you're going to say the same thing in Chloe, but go ahead. You know, kick, kicking your ass out of the swamp is still kicking your ass. It's yeah. still beating yourself up. And so you're, you're, a lot of us, we try to do that with our own energy. We try to make ourselves better by forcing ourselves to be better with our own energy. And so it's really, it can be self-cannibalism. It can be gremlin violence. It can, it's really self-abusive. It's manipulating ourselves. There's so much uh, like trying to get, you know, thinking we're doing the right thing, the right thing to try to kick us out of the swamp. And it turns out that we have so much support from, for example, bright principles that that are there that are rocket fuel. And so we, you actually don't, you have to, yes, you know, direct your spaceship in a direction not in the swamp. You have to kind of turn around and go this way. But you can ride right out. You know, swamps are not very deep, a couple meters deep, you know, and there's mud and frog poop and everything in there, you know. And then, and then you're out. And all you need to do to get out is ride your bright principles or ride your archetypal lineage. And you don't even have to understand that to do it. You can just kind of radically rely on your inner resources and outer resources. So bright principles are outer resources. Your archetypal lineage is an outer resource. Your inner resources are your, your joy, your sadness, your fear. You know, those are inner resources. So you can use these resources to just step right out of the swamp. And it's the thing is, it's scary as hell because of what Aunt Chloe said. It's different way of relating to the world. It's completely different. But it, if you use the idea, God, it takes so much energy. You know, it takes so much. I mean, I don't have the energy to make the effort. It's, it's easier to do it the old way. This is, that's not what's really going on. It's probably this fear of not knowing who you are. And I just want to say this one thing about <clears throat> as you go as you go on on your path into adulthood, adulthood actually comes wakes up. Adulthood actually comes into play when you're spending more time in the liquid state than in the solid state. So this is because you know. In the first expand the box, you do a liquid state, you go solid again. You know, and another in the lab, you do a big liquid state or number two liquid state, so you have a, you're solid again. And then you have these processes: liquid state, solid again, liquid state, solid again. But what you start noticing is that over time, the liquid states get longer, and the solid states become less solid. It's not so interesting to be solid. You know, to know who you are, to know what you're supposed to do, to know your place, to, you know, that whole thing, the knowing part is dead in a way. And what you start finding, just as a map, 
is that as you go through these leaps, what happens? You start spending more time between, you know, in the liquid state before you have a solid state again, and pretty soon you start finding a new home in the liquid state. It's not like you're supposed to be solid. Human beings are designed to fly. So, okay, what does that mean? Well, it means liquid state. It means that's it. That's your future. So you can just start getting a little more used to it. You know, just carry those tissues around with you. You know, I have them almost all the time. I have a tissue right here. Okay, I just use them. You know, just use those things. You know, human beings are designed to fly. You know, I have my spoon, my tissue, you know, my beef book. You know, I have all my stuff and I just, that's how it goes. And Chloe, you were going to say something. I'm proposing something different from what you're saying, Andrea. Because this idea of what it looks like to me, what happens is there's this sensation that appears. And for you, Andrea, this this, I'm unwilling to live. And instead of being with that, you know, for whatever, it's like you made that decision for a good reason. Something really happened and you decided it's not worth it. It's too much, something, whatever. And instead of being with that, you move into the swamp and then you beat yourself up into the swamp and you think the way out of the swamp is trying to be okay. You're trying to push yourself out of the swamp, trying to be okay. And then you, you pretend to be okay, but immediately the sensation of, I don't want to do life comes back, which will put you right back into the swamp because you don't want to be with that. And so what I'm saying is not at all anything about pushing yourself out of the swamp, not at all. What I'm saying is there's a thing that happens before you move in the swamp. There's a sensation, there's an experience that you're trying to avoid by having all the noise, by having all the beating yourself up. And if you can pause and move back to that previous sensation and then be with that, and and this this thing about, for example, not wanting to do life, I, I just was remembering a process I did uh, with a friend, actually. And her thing was, when she was born, somehow there was just too much noise. There's something about the actual sound of the world that was too overwhelming. And, and she would just go in this overwhelm, there's too much sound, and I don't want to be here because it's too loud. It's just too loud. And so, and that was, that was it for her. It was the sound. And what she learned was the sound is not for her, that she could let the sound through. Like it was not for her to control or understand or, or handle or manage or whatever. It, she just let it go by. You know, that was her shift of decision of shift of identity. So this, mm, it's like Clinton said, this whole, this whole abusive, we've just learned to abuse ourselves and in, in trying to push ourselves to trying to be okay. And, and God, what is that? You know, it's not as much as a fantasy world as, you know, the swamp. As being not okay. As being not okay. Yeah. It's just as much of a fantasy world. That was it. Yeah.
Thank you. That resonates a lot and I've I've been yeah, one of the decisions I made that I, I want to stop manipulating myself and I don't yeah. want to use my energy to push myself out of anything. And so I've been experimenting what are the, the ways that I can I remember uh, you and Chloe talking about like this window of small window of things that I actually want to do. And how can I go through this window to take me out of this one without using all my energy? Because that's really how I feel. And that also resonates a lot about finding that, because I've been observing in the bridge house here, like how there's a switch, of, like I'm, I'm good, and then something happens, and I go into this like survival swamp, weird thing. The like your bright principles, for example, your bright principles are like a sky hook. So a sky hook is like you, you here you are in a swamp and you have this little rope with a hook on it. You just throw it up there and it grabs onto your bright principles and you just hang on. It just, just pulls you right out. This is the sky hook. And so you can you can just use that. I mean, and I think really a lot of us are so unprepared to be welcomed into whole other domains than the shadow gremlin self-torture underworld domains that we've lived in for so long. We're just not prepared for being pulled out into opportunity or um, having no story about how bad we are going on in our mind. How long can you live like that without having a story going on that you're just an idiot, a failure, no good, not good enough? How long can you stand having no story about yourself? And that you can practice that. You can have yourself with a little clock, you know, and you sit here and go, you know, and go, I'm, I don't have any, oh shit, I have a story about my head of those three and a half seconds. God, okay, I'm going to try again. Okay. You know, really try to just focus on extending how long you can stand having no story about how bad you are. Like what a failure you are. Like what kind of a horrible creature was allowed to, you know, given birth in the planet. You know, how long can you tolerate the intensity of, of being a radiant being without beating yourself up into, into dog poop. Look, I have to read Experiment 13. I, have to, I just have to do it. Because it's number 13. We're on page. God, we're on page. We've been on this page for about six weeks. It's on page 212. Experiment 13. It's the experiment is this is experiments in how to create extraordinary relationships, 27 experiments for how to create extraordinary relationship. Number 13 is clean up messes. Now, it does not say clean up your messes. It does not say clean up other people's messes. It says clean up messes. And so what that means is you attribute no ownership to whose mess it is. It is a mess. And, and so if you're, you know, can you clean up the mess? So here's some of the explanation. I mean, the answer is, of course, you can clean up the mess. 
you know, but, but if you don't clean up the mess, then you have a mess. How many messes do you have? So the suggestion is you have a lot of messes and messes suck away your energy. So the, the, the instructions are messes get in the way of perceiving the subtle joys of life in the same way that dog poop gets in the way of rolling around in fresh green grass. So this is a personal metaphor from my own childhood because my mom had this dog and I wanted to roll around in the grass and then I'd come in with this horrible, slimy dog poop all over my clothes and I just, I couldn't understand how it was possible that I was allowed to play in a dog toilet, okay? But that's, that's my life. Anyway, so, so the, if you're leaving a mess around is it gets in the way of perceiving subtle joys. Okay, a little dog poop can stink up an entire room. Do you ever notice that? You know, the tiniest little scent of dog poop and people start looking around at their shoes, you know, seeing what, where the dog poop is. Doesn't, it takes only a little mess to do that. So people walking in, they sniff a mess, they start, it distracts people. Really, it distracts people's attention, it distracts your attention. So a dirty dish or a kid's toy in the wrong place or a broken kid's toy or a broken dish, it can, it can destroy an elegant sanctuary of your home in the same way that a cigarette butt uh, destroys a Japanese garden. And you have this beautiful Japanese garden, there's a cigarette, so, you know, somebody just threw a cigarette, do you leave it there? You know, people only see the cigarette butt. That's what they see. They don't see the, the Japanese garden anymore. You just go, so nobody cares about this garden. Nobody cares about this space. Everybody's attention is focused down to the mess. Consistently, so the, the, this is the experiment. You just scan in a relaxed manner, not, not with this critical perfectionist kind of you know, Hawkeye scanning. You just scan for messes that you can put into order. So there's, it just says there's a difference between an, an a sharp eye, an eagle eye, and a neurotically critical eye. So as it suggests using a clear vision or sharp, you know, clear scanning and not the neurotically critical perfectionist kind of reactive eye. So there are little messes everywhere. So a mess is a mess. Even if it is not your mess, it still affects you, still affects your space. So you can clean it up as a matter of course with almost no effort. It's exactly like Anya was saying. This, this whole story attached, you know, that my neighbor left this mess. You know, they're always leaving messes. They put together with is glue. My neighbor is always leaving messes. I do always have to clean them up. They do not pay any attention. I am a victim. This is all is good story worlds. And you can feed your gremlin and build up a whole underworld feast 
with any evidence and particularly with any mess. On the other hand, you can be this kind of space sorcerer, a space wizard, whatever, and you just manufacture hydraulic spaces wherever you go. And you do it without, you don't even hardly put your attention on it. So the people, you know, you just, whatever, mop up the dust, you know, move things around, put things where they belong, like handle stuff, you know, clean up this little conflict between two people, have them do completion loops. You just go around cleaning up messes as a, as like a side effect of you walking through a space. And you'll just leave this cloud of elegance behind you where you're going. And so it, with almost no effort, that's the point. It is not about using up time, energy, attention, you know, that you are so scarce that you make it and it's costing you so much to clean up messes. That's not what this is about. This is a practice. It's an experiment to do in creating extraordinary relating. Um, it says, be careful. One person's mess is another person's museum. Okay, so just because you think it is a mess does not mean that everybody, somebody else in this space doesn't think it's a piece of art. You know, I have my six little spoons stacked over here on the table. And sometimes Anne Chloe comes in and just looks at them and goes, can't you just move these things? You know, they're just taking up so much space. We're trying to have breakfast and you've got all these spoons stacked up on your desk. And I'm going, you know, but then she goes, like this, she gets the wah, you know, the energetic joyfulness of having six spoons to choose from for eating your oats out of it. And so, so that's what I'm talking about. It's like, it's like one person's, to one person, what looks like a mess could look like another, a beautiful art piece to somebody else. So respect the idiosyncratic needs of your partner's box. Respect the idiosyncratic needs of your partner's box because that'll drive you crazy. You know, if, if you think their box should be the same as your box and and they like having a deck of greasy um, poker cards sitting on, you know, on their desk or something, and you just look at those and go, God, these are just so old, greasy, you know, poker cards. Just get rid of these and just throw them in the garbage. You know, get some nice, clean plastic, you know. You, this will be conflict. This is a conflict. So there's a gap that you can have between what's there and what story you make out of it. And that this gap is extremely useful. These gaps are incredibly useful. So there's a website called Nine Gaps, and it talks about nine different ways for you to make a gap between you and what's going on around you. So you do not have to react to it. You do not have to adapt to it. You do not have to control it. You do not have to be devoured by it. You can have this gap. And then what's in the gap? Nothing. So it can't. nothing goes through the gap. It's an insulator. So... For example, do not touch your partner's desk. Do not put anything on their desk, except if they have a designated inbox. Otherwise, do not put anything on your partner's desk. Like today, and Chloe, we just got home from riding around in the rain on the motorcycle, and we walk in and we're getting things ready. She says, please put my phone on my desk. 
So I would not have done that otherwise. I would have put it on the bed or on a chair or something on a shelf. I would not have put it on the desk. She said, please put it on my desk. And I put it neatly on the corner of her desk to respect the sacredness of her desk space. So this is the kind of magical experiments that you can do that have to do with messes. So it's just called clean up messes. Anything about experiment 13? I want to share. I walked on the beach in uh, in Israel. I was cleaning up messes because I remember heard in your story about Greece that you you guys were cleaning up beaches in Greece. So I was experimenting with that picking like blue these blue pieces of of plastic and keep yeah. picking up another piece and another piece and and then there was one piece I picked it up and I see. This woman is like looking that I pick up pieces and she was smiling at me. And I went to put the piece in the trash and then I thought, I should talk to her. I'm kind of tired, but no, no, I, I need to talk to her. And I went to talk to her and this is the this is the woman that I'm now doing this experiment in relating, team up, uh, <laughs> training. I don't know what it is, but... This, now I'm in Kansas because of that, because I can pick a piece of trash <laughs> on the beach. What a great story. Thank you. <laughs> God, Kansas. I was born in Kansas. Nobody ever goes to Kansas. Here you are in Kansas. God, what an amazing thing. <laughs> Thank you for that story. It's great. Thank wow. You. Cleaning up messes. Is, a, is noticed by Echo, the Earth Coincidence Control Office. Wow. I want to give an example of, we went into a, a cafe here and we usually have this list of, you know, please, uh, you know, no ice or no straw, no sugar. Because here in Vietnam, they put that amount of sugar, liquid sugar in every drink that you order. Like it's like mandatory. And so you have to ask for all these. And, and so we go into this cafe and we, it's a pretty like whatever health something. And so I don't even think about asking for no straw and the drinks come in. Of course, it's polyethylene plastic straw. And we have this conversation with this woman. She said, well, yeah, before we had metal straw, but the metal, it was toxic actually, like the metal came off or whatever. So, so she was trying to clean up a mess by, by replacing it with plastic straw. And we said, what about, yeah, with another mess. And we said, well, what about training people to drink their juices without straw? And you put a little, you know, she has little stories in her menu and you just add a story Look, we've tried this straw and it didn't work and, and we don't want to use plastic. So here, here's a place where you learn to drink your juice without straw. And this whole insanity of having to drink with straw. I mean, where does that come from? You know, where, and then there's all this straw in the ocean. And so that's, that's a mess. You know, she's clean and we're, and we were cleaning up the mess. I don't know if she's going to do it, but she was open for feedback. She said we, we want feedback in her, in her menu. So. Along those lines, for all you revolutionaries out there, I, I I got an idea from this guy, Seth Godin, who writes a blog every day. 
And the idea was that stupidity has power. He did not say it that way. But if like things change when when people have this sensation that it's stupid to do it the old way, or it looks stupid, or people will think you're stupid if you're doing things the old way. And so a lot of people would not wear a top hat these days that's made out of beaver skin. They used to make these big black top hats, you know, made out of beaver skin. So you have to kill a beaver and make the skin into this hat. And then you have a high quality hat and used to be respected in society more if you had one of these hats. But you go around today, you know, I don't think you can even cross international borders with a beaver hat because they will see that it's made out of animal skin. They'll put you in prison. I mean, it's so stupid that you'd be exporting, you know, precious animal skins on your head. You know, it's just stupid. And so then, okay, well, now the problem is that beavers are getting more and more populous and they're chopping down the trees all over Germany, for example. But in any case, one problem at a time. So what I'm saying is if you can, there's all this powerful uh, feedback mechanism that's available even on Google Maps. Every place you go, you can leave a comment. You can leave a, what's it called? It's called a, a review. A review. You can leave between one and five star review and take a photograph and make a few sentences. And this thing, it turns out, is hugely powerful. And so if you you can just start finding things, you know, you take a picture of this orange juice and it has a, a straw and you go, you see that straw? Can you believe it? They are still using straws in this plastic straws in this restaurant. It is stupid. And just start using, we're starting a movement called It's Stupid. Is that what it's called? This is stupid. This is stupid. That's the name. Hashtag this is stupid. <laughs> and you just make your comments about this and that and the other thing and just go. And, you know, people will see this and they'll go, you know, I want to drink, but I, I don't want one of your stupid straws. Okay. I want to. And, and there are hugely, you know, you walk down the street and go, you're wearing polyester clothes. It, it makes all these particles that go into the, you know, the ground and go into the plants. This is stupid. And you and you just start making comments and with photographs and, and put it on a review and give them one star, a one star review because this is stupid. Well, this changes people. We, I mean, we went to one little cafe here in, in Hoi An, Vietnam, and the guy, there was nobody there. And it's a beautiful little cafe. The food was amazing. We go, how come nobody's here? He says, because somebody came in my in my restaurant and they said that the portion was not big enough. One guy made this review on travel or something, whatever. And and what's it called? TripAdvisor. TripAdvisor. Yeah. And and uh, and they said the portions aren't big enough. So people just stopped coming. And this is one of these Australian elephants you know, guys who, who you need six hamburgers you know, before he even knows that he ate something. And this guy was serving amazing. He was a three-star, five-star chef trained in the hotels, making this beautiful food that was not overstuffing with fat and grease and carbohydrates. And it was tasty and was wonderful and all that. And this guy said, portions are too small. It was just some, you know, elephant guy. And so 
any case, they had so nobody was coming. And so we made a review of how wonderful the food was and stuff. So, and so anyway, please uh, carry your revolutionary acts forward. This is stupid. Hashtag this is stupid. And just take it over. And it makes a difference. It really makes a difference. Thank you for listening to my tirade. The possibility door that I opened up. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and pass it on, you know, tell other people, God, try this, you know, you don't like, you know, something is stupid, say it. Hey, this is stupid. This is ignorant. This is insane. This just doesn't work anymore. Used to work, doesn't work anymore. Experiment 14. Can you believe this? We are moving right along. Experiment 14 as creating extraordinary relation, relating. Make elegance. Make elegance. That's the experiment. So most of us are driven by things like hurry up. Anybody driven by hurry up? You have to, you know, keep, you have to do it, do it quickly. You do hurry. Anybody driven by be strong, be a strong person. Anybody driven by try harder, you know, keep trying. At least I'm trying hard. Yeah. And have anybody driven by please the authority, please other people? Anybody have that as a driver? This, these are these are all drivers. Okay, so there's a driver that you can you can create yourself. It doesn't have to be this adaptive kind of survival driver. It's this wizard driver. It's an, and it's called make elegance. You just scan around and you're scanning in a different kind of way than an ordinary human being. You're scanning for the possibility of elegance. And, and so this gives you a different perspective on what's happening around you, both really close to you, you know, around really close to you, or over there. You can scan over there. And, and then in, in, in relating, in ways people are being together, on what's possible in a meeting and the way people are speaking together or or the way people are not speaking together. Thank you. There, people are not speaking together. It's not elegant. Somebody's holding something in. You go, it looks like you're holding something in. Would you like to share that? And this makes it more elegant because they can complete that and it's finished. And it's no longer contaminating the space. So the notes about this experiment are called, is it elegance, elegance, experiment number 14, elegance effervesces. That means it bubbles out. It's like fizzy water. As, as, the, as the bubbles come to the top of water, it makes this little fizzy stuff. That's called effervescence. So elegance effervesces from revealed details. So this is kind of magical. What that means is if you can reveal certain details that other people are not noticing, you emphasize certain details, that it amplify, you can amplify the elegance of a space by noticing certain details and revealing them, which means putting them on the table, which means appreciating them, sharing them speaking them into the space, pointing people's attention. Did you see how elegantly those 
beans are stacked up on the refrigerator in little jars of plastic, little jars you know, that are holding the, the food over there on the refrigerator so elegantly. Did you notice that? Did you notice that um, the lady who, who, who mopped the floor this morning even got the dust out of the corners? She got what so elegance effervesces from revealed details. So you can be a detail review revealer. You can reveal certain details that that amplify elegance. So you can do this about a way a person is dressed. You can do this about a way a person is taking care of their hair. You can do this about where they put their attention. What did they notice? And, and that is a detail. And when you go, the way that you listened to my difficult ability to say something, it honored my courage to try to say it. And you can put your attention on that detail and it brings it into the space and pops open like that, into the space and brings more elegance into your space of relating. If you do not have an organic experience of what elegance is, then go learn it. Make it make it something that you are studying right now. You know, you could you can bend over like yesterday I I we walked out on the street and I stopped and I was just staring at a a concrete pot about a meter tall filled with water and a like a stone that was built like a mountain and it had all these uh not oregano what what do you call it when you cut the little japanese plants down and make little miniature trees and stuff what's that called bonsai 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 trees little waterfall little bonsai trees and this water lily that came out of this slimy green water with purple and yellow perfection. It was this incredible, astonishing, you know, magnificence of nature out of this slime water without help from anybody. It like, and so, so that is elegant. There's this elegant way that the flower made this whole rock and this little flower garden so elegant. And so it was like, I was training myself to appreciate the incredible beauty of something so simple. And, and this is what, it was my class. It was like part of my training myself to appreciate elegance in that particular moment. And I stopped, I stopped moving. I, and Chloe even had to cross the street and see what I was doing. Stand, she thought I was peeing on the side of the road across the street or something. I don't know what she thought, but anyway, when she came over, then she appreciated the flower too. She goes, ah, oh, that's why you're standing here. So, this is about learning to appreciate elegance. Elegance can radiate from simple accoutrement, which is a French word, which means, what does it mean anyway? Dress and clothes. Extra things. Little things. No. Accoutrement. What? No, accoutrement is like, it's, it's, it usually design, like designate clothes for somebody who's put effort in choosing their clothes i would say i mean andrea i don't know if you have a different definition than that 
what comes is the the, the sarcasm. The, we usually use it in a sarcastic. Ah, uh, you're right. Oh, what? It's like a, it's like a, it's like an ins, uh, yeah, it's like a sarcastic comment about, it's like a passive aggressive insult. I mean, uh, an expression. We haven't, there's an expression okay. difference. All right, all right. That's not what I mean. No. So what I'm saying is, it's in the details. What I mean is, elegance can radiate from tiny little things, the extra things. So, in, in people who speak English think accoutrement means extra things, added on things. That's what they think it means. So, in any case, it can radiate from a cleaned room or a, a piece of furniture, like a nicely, like the, the wooden carved legs on a, on a table. Hold on, on you just a second. It's from a piece of art, a little painting, or a carefully prepared food, well-spoken words. Elegance can radiate from all these different things, from the way you move your attention in an empty space. So there's this scene in Shakespeare in Love, which is this amazing film that I encourage you to see. And there's this one moment where this woman who's role-playing, who's playing uh, uh Juliet in Romeo and Juliet and she's on the stage and she's being looked at from her partner her lover who's behind the stage so she's on the stage acting out to all those people doing her lines but she knows he's looking at her from behind the stage and there's this one little glimpse where she turns her neck a certain way because she knows that he's noticing her elegance and appreciating her elegance. And she's in front of all these people and it fits with her role, but the elegance comes from him noticing the way she's being noticed. She notices that she's being noticed and she and she radiates that. Anya, what were you gonna say? I notice about myself that I'm most likely have trained myself when I was really little to have big eyes to see those things and to express those things. And when I look back on my history and my life story, I see that I misused this to not create a relationship, but to a part actually, to put this ability and the looking at something, beautiful clothing or whatever, to put that between me and the other, instead of using it as, as a connection. And I remember that last week, there was one, I didn't dare back then to, to say that, but there was one of the things you were reading and I felt exactly the same. I thought, well, yeah, maybe, but I misused it so far. So I couldn't get out of it what you were trying to, to emphasize. Yeah, thank you, Well, uh, because it's so important to, to recognize that just because you have a screwdriver doesn't mean you will you can only use it for turning screws. You know, you can do damage with it, it's a weapon, you can break things, you know, any distinction or any tool, whatever can be any force can be used many different ways. And so just because we're mentioning how to use your attention to look for 
subtle elegance doesn't mean you're also using your attention for subtle errors or stupidities or faults and you point out the faults using the same kind of attention. So, so you're using the same tool to produce a different result because you have a different purpose. And so it's thank you for pointing it out. Because of course, anything we're talking about, I mean, some people are afraid. Some people are actually afraid to notice things they did not notice before or to learn new distinctions, to be able to distinguish things they could not distinguish before. They're afraid to do that because they're afraid their, uh, their gremlin will get a hold of it and they will use it as a weapon for unconsciousness and hurtfulness, and disruption and destruction. And they're afraid of that. So their strategy is to learn less. Strategy is see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. You know, it's this sort of thing. If I can stay stupid, I won't, I won't make more mistakes. You can't, you can't blame me for doing some evil because I'm, I'm not doing anything. You know, anybody use that? Just stand back and don't do anything because then you won't make a mistake. You won't hurt anybody. Yeah. Yeah, so this is big stuff. I mean, that would be a fantastic doorway for an emotional healing process. Because I mean, we've been, and Chloe and I have been really pushing edges lately in terms of this being adaptive thing or, or creating possibility for ourselves and each other in the world. And it, it has a lot to do with being able to disconnect yourself from what other people think, what you know, how other people react, what what they might think about you, what they might feel, and if you're if you if you're mapped on and you think you're afraid, this person is going to be afraid. Well, well, then you're right with them. You're you're in the fear with them. So. They're afraid, you're afraid, it stops you, nothing happens. You know, you try to do nothing then. Because if you do nothing, then they can feel nothing. If you do nothing, they can react to nothing. They can't blame you. They can't make you feel guilty. They can't get revenge if you don't do anything. So it, it looks like a safe survival strategy to withhold everything. And in fact, the, the practice of adulthood is withhold nothing. It's adapt to nothing and withhold nothing. There's a time in your path when that needs to be your practice. And it's early on in adulthood. It needs, you need to reap the consequences of adapting to absolutely nothing. You just refuse absolutely to adapt. Somebody walks in the room, they're trying to force you to give them your attention. You know, you're at the you're at your, your table at the cafe and the waitress comes in and wants your attention and you don't give it to them. You do not answer a question. You refuse you do just refuse to adapt to anything. And you withhold nothing. You know, so the other night there was a waitress who just wanted to come in and arrange my cup and my glass and my plate and move this around and and I just said, get away. I said, get out. So I did not adapt and I didn't withhold that. 
it was disgusting what she was had zero awareness of invading this intimate space between me and Chloe in there moving stuff around. So, and, and I just really with my hands like this pushed her and pushed her away energetically. And she backed up and backed up. And, and it was like, okay, can you do that? Can you do that and not beat yourself up for being an asshole? Can you do that and withhold nothing and adapt to nothing? Like this is part of adulthood. And it's not about everywhere you go, you just spew out you know, all your opinions and all your judgments and all your criticisms and all your praises and all your, your appreciations and all your love. You know, this is, if you withhold nothing, that's what you would do. So, but you have to be able to do that. And some, at, you know, like Aunt Chloe was explaining before, it's about this line. To find the line of, of elegance, you have to go over the line. You have to sometimes go too far, go too much, go too intense, go too, you know, you have to go, you, you need to go over the line. And then you get this reaction from the space, you know, okay, that's over the line. And then, oh, that's under the line. And it's like this, you have to find the line. And so in the line of withholding nothing, you have to, Barf everything for a while, for a few weeks. People around you go, what the hell are you doing? I'm withholding nothing, asshole. Like, you should try it. You withhold all this, you know, and you just, you're withholding nothing. And you start giving them feedback about withholding all the stuff they're withholding. And you go, God, what? I don't, I hate this stuff. You go, I hate it too. I don't like to barf everything all over the place, but I'm withholding nothing. It's driving me crazy and driving you crazy. Isn't this wonderful? So it really requires, this is, this is aliveness. This is a finding aliveness. And you, and you need to do that for a while before you can navigate appropriateness, until you can navigate elegance, you know, it's so important. So, so it can be elegance the way you move your attention in empty space. So this is an amazing thing because usually we only move our attention to bright objects or loud sounds. We move our attention mechanically, reactively, in response to some element or shock or colorful thing. We've been trained to move our attention that way. So this is a kind of elegance where you move your attention where there's no stimulus. It's empty space. What happens? You know, some people, they move their attention, they just move it inward. They start beating themselves up again. Or they move themselves inward and find something to be afraid of. And they start being so afraid because there's nothing to react to in their environment. So they turn the radio on, you know, they turn the Facebook on, you know, they start a low drama with somebody just to have some kind of... Uh, uh, stimulus, so because they, we don't know what to do with our attention, our free attention in, in, in empty space. So what do you do with your free attention in empty space? It determines the kind of elegance that you're making. Because otherwise it's all sleep. You're all, this is all mechanical reactivity, you know, putting your attention only where it can react or cause some kind of criticism or, or damage or something. So you say, you know, elegance can be how you say good morning. 
you know, how you how you interact with somebody who says unconsciously good morning to you. I mean, just yesterday or something, somebody said good morning or what was it? Have a nice day or something. I look at them and go, it's raining. It was like, are you sure you know what you're saying? You know, it's like, okay, I can have a nice day when it's raining. And, you, you know, you're saying this as if it's sunny outside. And they look outside and go, oh, yeah. You know, it was, okay, that was elegant. It was a surprise. It was not the ordinary sleeping, you know, zombie response to good morning or have a nice day. So elegance comes from how you open a door or how you enjoy and appreciate your partner's smile so many ways. Isabel. I recognize in my case that I often say do something adaptive, like say yes to something, and afterwards I realize, oh my gosh, it was not the answer that I really want to give to that person. So team, do you have possibilities for me? What can I do? If I realize yes. it afterwards, and I have yes. so so look at that's how it will, you carry your beat book around, and and you notice it after. Notice how long after it was. Was it two hours later? Was it a day later? And you go, I should have said this one day late later, and then you write it down. You actually write it down. I wanted to say this, but I said that, and it was a two a two day gap or a one hour gap. And then you just keep noticing. And then what will happen is this, something similar will come up. And you, you say, I did it again. Shit. It was a two-hour gap again. And it starts bringing it into your note, your capacity to notice. And so you have this practice of noticing when you notice that you actually wanted to say something, how much time went by. And when you do that, the time will start getting closer. You go, oh, God, that was only one hour. Oh, God, that was only five minutes, you know. And then it's like, oh, God, I just did it just now. I said yes, and I meant go fuck yourself, you know. So, you, it, okay, you, you write it down. You write it down. It's five seconds. And then what will happen is you'll be in a situation where that they're saying something, and you are starting to move your mouth to say something that you don't want to say. And you can say, I am doing it right now. And you get your beat book out and go, this is party time. This is victory. I am noticing right now that I'm about to do it right now. And the next thing that happens is you'll notice when you're about to do it. You will notice when you're about to do it. And that's the time you have choice. So this practice is so universal. It applies in so many areas. And it's, but it works that way. It works by developing your attentiveness. In German, there's this great word, achtsamkeit. Achtsamkeit. It's this beautiful word about attentiveness. And it's like to be attentive to this, to this thing. And you track it back and track it back until you have a choice about it. And then you choose something else. And you go, I was about to say this stupid joke. I was about to insult you. I was about to, you know, be adaptive again. You, um, so, Isabel, you wanted to say something else? I I wanted to say something. Wait, wait, wait. Isabel first. Yes. 
that sometimes I also make a commitment or say yes to a commitment and afterwards I I sense oh gosh it's uh it's a, a vampire sucking my life energy. And it creates you want to, you want well, to about that. No, but yes, but Angela, go ahead if it's possible. No, 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 I can come later. Okay. I mean I have two experiments for you, Isabel. One is Everybody. Oh yeah. Not just Isabel. One one is choose a week. And you make no commitment. Zero. No promise, no agreement, no commitment, nothing. And, and so even if it's let's meet at, you know, let's meet in five minutes, you don't even make that commitment. You'll say, well, maybe I'll be there in five minutes. Maybe I won't. But even inside of yourself, you don't make any commitment or promises for one week. To notice how... It's like how unconscious, how, how actually you, you don't yet know what making a commit, making a promise is. Like it's just part of your survival strategy, like you said, to say yes. And the other one, then it's for a while. I mean, it could be a couple of weeks, one or two weeks is three times a day, say no. Even if you think you want to do it. Because you don't yet know if you really want to do it or not. And so, but if you really, if you say no and you hold your no for a while, you know, a week later you can change your mind and say, actually, I really want to do this. But give it a week for your system to actually, you know, be, no, I really want to do this. Just say no three times a day for no reason. Do not give any justification or explanation. Just say no. There's a cute little website called Asshole Training, and it has some stuff on there that's so powerful in terms of understanding what what is meant by a conscious asshole. Because we're trying to be a good person, trying to be a good citizen, trying to be nice, trying to be loving, trying to be connected. Like there's all these things that make sense to us as a being. And then to be an asshole does not seem to fit into that. But it's so... If you don't say what you want or don't want, is that, is that helping? You know, is that serving? What kind of mess are you creating by not being authentic? You know, by, by, by artificially forcing yourself to say, make a commitment when you don't want to really, you know, is that, is that being present? Are you being adult? Is that really helpful? And so, but then there's this mechanism of, God, I don't want to be an asshole. Okay, well, if there's this whole shift you can make inside. And it goes along with withhold nothing and adapt to nothing about being okay being an asshole. And not beating yourself up for it and not having an opinion about it and not go, geez, I'm an asshole. It's just, it's just handling shit. You just handle shit. Funk. Handled. And you're still in the present and your action is already in the past. And you can, you can function in the small now, causing what needs to happen without being caught up in these opinions or these, oh my God, am I going to, are they, are they hurting their feelings? Am I being nice? Am I being a good person? Like all this stuff and just be an asshole. And it's, it takes work. It takes some practice. You have to train yourself 
as an adult human being, like a free and natural adult human being is potentially an asshole in any instant, any instant can say, yes, no, I changed my mind. This doesn't work for me. You made a promise. You didn't keep your promise. You know, I'm not doing this anymore. Whatever the thing is, it, that's what's possible in, in being present, being present as a free and natural adult woman or man. And that's part of it is you, you need to break this image you have of not being an asshole. And, and really, you can draw a picture of yourself being an asshole or look at your gremlins picture. Draw a picture of your gremlin. Go, God, that's part of me. This is really helpful to use your conscious use of gremlin to be an asshole for that second, not to get revenge, not to destroy somebody, not to be superior, none of that stuff. It's like to do the thing and then drop it. And to commit yourself to something you actually do not really want to do could also be a kind of an asshole. How do you mean? I mean, you are, you're actually not doing what you want. So you're not, you're adaptive and you're, you're not, you, you're not being yourself. You're not in your being. So yeah, you're using the word in a different way. I'm talking about a conscious yeah, it, asshole. It, you're yeah. Talking about an unconscious it's an asshole. unconscious asshole either mm -hmm. against the others or even yourself. So being an asshole is not that, uh, that cruel. You're doing it, or I I do it very often against myself. So to do the step from the unconscious asshole to the conscious asshole, mm -hmm. for me just is the idea coming up, oh, it's freeing. It's freeing myself. It's freeing my being. And it's actually, not, it, asshole sounds so, so, so weird, so bad. Maybe I'm already bad by being an unconscious asshole. And then I would prefer to be a conscious asshole. We'll see. Angela. Thank you. Thanks for waiting. Yeah, I'm wrestling more in the other direction, um, which is not so much being so adaptive, but being rather angry and having angry responses and i was just now like listening to oh okay this mechanism sounds also for um <laughs> yeah getting more of you when and how and how fast it uh, goes that i recognize and i'm doing it i'm recognizing it faster and faster but i'm not doing it with a beep so much with my beat book that I really take care of how fast it is and how, what happened but it did sound a bit like magic and as I'm really wrestling with um, getting angry and getting hooked and reactive um, yeah I'm happy for hints of how to <laughs> get off get out of it yeah the thing with the The beat book is that it slows the process down and makes it more conscious. Make, it makes you more aware of what's really happening. When you write it down and it takes time to open your beat book, get your pen out, you know, and actually formulate words. And that just slows things down. And then it, it gives you this chance to, it's one of the ways to make a gap 
uh, between the stimulus and the response. And you start noticing inside, like and Chloe was saying, what happened just before that? What was the what was the story? What were the words? What was the attitude? What was the sensations in your five bodies? And you write that down. And that's and that's when you expand your ability to track what's emerging. And, and but the beat book is so useful to slow stuff down in a way that's practical. That's why I keep encouraging you to write it down. It's not like the biographer in 20 years is, you know, let's write this book about Angela and look at, we're going to look at her diaries and they find these, God, she, look at what she did. You know, it's not they're going to be, they're going to go, that's weird. You know, it, it's not for them. Okay, it's for you. It's just for you. And yeah, so it's very helpful to write it down. Thank you. It's an intervention on yourself. You use your beat book as an intervention. It's this amazing tool, this powerful tool. It catalyzes, you know, writing is such an alchemical action because until you write it down, it did not happen. Until you write it down, that's what Lee Lazarus used to say. If you, didn't, if you don't write it down, it didn't happen. And so you, it's a documentation that transforms something that's in the etheric level into the physical level, changing something etheric into ink on paper. It's a physical object. And, and that is an alchemy. It's a transformational alchemy. So it's, uh, it helps to know that you're being an alchemist when you're writing stuff down, not just some neurotic person. You know, it really has importance and value. Thank you. Yeah, so thank you. And you know this anger, this like reactive anger stuff, it's, it will help you a lot to, to figure out if it's a button, hook, trigger, trauma, a voice in your head, or an imbalance. And I did not just make that list up. Okay, so there's a website called Reactivity, and it describes every single one of these reactions. Button, hook, trigger, trauma, voice, imbalance. You know, and then if you know which kind of thing it is that's causing the anger, you have so much, uh, in, they're very different ways to work with it. So, so if you don't know what kind of reaction it is, your effectiveness will be really low. You won't be able to do anything about it. You get what I'm saying? So it really helps yeah, you I go to this website. Yeah, I know that it's mainly my trauma reaction of not Okay. Being seen and no. Okay. Oh. Okay. And Not being layer, okay. Layer after layer, you take mm -hmm. that in to an emotional healing process. Mm -hmm. That's what you do with the trauma. You complete incomplete emotions. You go back to the person who didn't see you, and you and you have somebody role play them, and you just complete it. I was so angry because I was so scared, whatever, so sad because until they complete it, and then do the next layer, then do the next layer. You cannot go anywhere else until you go through that. Do you get what I'm saying? There's no trick. There's no easy way around this stuff. I wish there was. And I really wish there was. But you cannot fool yourself. cannot fool the world. You cannot fool reality. If you're going to react that way, it's going to go on and on forever until you go through it. And so it's not a – everybody has this stuff. Everybody. And so you just do the work. 
Just go through it and it won't last forever. It won't be an infinite number of layers. It is not impossible. You just go through the work, you know, and it might take you a few weeks, it might take you 15 emotional healing processes. Okay, well, then you get a whole new life after that. You get a whole new possibility of way to interact with what's going on around you. And it's worth it to go through that work of those emotional healing processes where you look bad. You look like a piece of shit. You look like an idiot. You look like a broken thing. You go through it again and through it again, and then it clicks, and you're on the other side. And you, there's no other, there's no way around that. You can't take drugs or do ceremonies or do prayers or have somebody bless you or, you know, buy a different altarpiece. None of that stuff will work as, you know, as effectively as just going through it. So just go through it. It's not, you know, you, it's mad, sad, glad, or scared. That's what it is. It's not going to be anything else. You could have mixed emotions, yes, and still mad, sad, glad, or scared. Okay, you can do this. You can do it. And so just do it. And whoever's holding space for you. So do you want to ask for one right now? Do you want to ask somebody to hold space for you? Uh, <clears throat> yes. Go ahead. Does, does somebody want to hold space for me? Um, in an emotional healing process, the topic is uh, somehow my my trauma is Mama doesn't stop drinking because uh, if she would love me, she would stop drinking. Great. She doesn't stop drinking, That's so enough. I'm yeah. Good. Okay, Sonia has her hand up. Yes, thank you. Super. And there's more than one layer. So don't yeah. think it will just, just go by with one layer. Don't even think that. Just go, okay, no. next layer. Next layer. Just keep doing it. Yeah, it goes yeah. to my partner doesn't turn the radio off, so he doesn't love me. And and same story. It's No, it's not the same story. There's little differences. Okay, yeah. Try not to generalize. Try not to generalize because you can generalize yourself out of presence. So each one is a different doorway, a different angle of it. Mm -hmm. okay, so use the different doorways. It's really okay. valuable. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Anybody, anything else right now? Uh, I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on a crusade. I'm on a mission. Um, <laughs> of reigniting the possibility of completing incomplete emotion. And I, I don't know if I, I've talked about it in, in this space in the Radiant Joy Brilliant Love, but what you're saying, Angela, is just bringing this up that, that just along these years of, you know, living with basically uninitiated adults as our parents, our teacher, our aunts, our everybody around us, and the thought where of not being allowed to feel means that, we just have all these emotional charge, all these incomplete communication in us. It's just these knots all over. And it doesn't take very long to complete one communication. It takes about five to maximum 10 minutes. You know, not, I'm not talking mom and dad. I'm, I'm talking about basically everybody else and mom and dad, but we have all these 
what we did not say. And so what we need to say now is buried under all the things that we did not say for decades. And there's this really this possibility, for example, to create a, a free cell, but it could also be an open group that says, okay, for a year, I'm going to do a year of completing incomplete emotion once a week. Once a week, I meet an hour, you know, an hour and 15 minutes. It doesn't need more than that. You do between one and three um, completion of an incomplete communication. You know, it's like, take seven minutes, you do it back and forth. You really have time for three, even in an hour. And, and every Friday, every Friday you meet, you do three. And sometimes it will be, it will seem like really big things. Sometimes it will seem like really small things, but I think they're all big. They're really all big, incomplete. And then after a year, you've done, you know, 50, you've done 150, you've completed 150 knots in yourself. God, how much space and movement and energy you get back from that. And so I really want to, put it in the space as a, as a possibility. And in, you can even charge people. You say, Hey, I'm holding space for this. It's a donation, five, 10 euros per session. You get all this energy back and we meet every week. So. And then you can quit your corporate job. I would like to be part of that three cell. Same. You've been heard. We heard you. I've been heard. Okay, thanks. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else wants to join you. I want to something? join. Uh, Sonia said she's and Yes. And Angela. And Angela. There's your three cell. I mean, and I just want to say it, it would be better to have four because then you can do right. pairs. And and can have a bigger group, so you can have a four cell. It's a thing, also. We can, yeah. You can actually have as many people want to join. It's mm -hmm. just great when you're either groups of two or groups of three, because if you have groups of three, the third piece of person can be the space holder and kind of the coach to hold the space, and then you just rotate around in your Zoom group and come back to everybody and celebrate. Just find cool. out what works best for you. Yeah. Johannes, you want to be the space holder for that? You want to call it into existence? Can people call you? Johannes, could you hear me? Doesn't All right. I will, go and, I will go and make contact with Johannes and Sonia, and we see right. how we do it. Yeah, and put it on the, the creation board or the EHP group. You know, so people know that they have a chance to do this uh, emotional, yeah. you know, that incompleting, incomplete emotions. It's just so, it's a great thing. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, thank you. Hey. Great, thank you. Good. So the, uh, I have a logistical announcement, which is mm. that in, in two weeks on the 17th, is that what it is? Yes. The 17th of December, and Chloe and I will be in transit on a Saturday night. We'll be coming during this uh, visa run between Vietnam and Laos we to leave the country and come back to get a new visa so we can stay one more month in Vietnam. So we're going to, so in two weeks on the 17th, we will not be having a study group 
And then also one week after that is the 24th of December, and we will be having a study group then. So for a lot of people celebrating Christmas, that's New that's Christmas Eve. And uh, but in Europe, it's in the middle of the afternoon. For us, it's in the evening over here in Vietnam, and in America, it's earlier morning. So just to let everybody know uh, the calendar coming up. Next week we're on. Week after that off. And the next week on again, even if it's Christmas, we'll be there. Cool. Anything from anybody else right now? I just want to say that experiment 15, which we did not get to yet, is called unstress yourself. Now that means it is not saying undress yourself. It means unstress yourself. It's better if somebody else undresses you occasionally, but unstress yourself. So arranging to be stressed out is your box's strategy for avoiding intimacy. Gosh, this stuff is so amazing. All right. I'm, I think we wrap it up right now. And Chloe, anything else? No, I would agree, because this one is such a big one, and I wouldn't rush for it. Sonia, anything else? I, I would like to ask for a possibility of possibilities. I already wrote on Chloe that my daughter is currently in South Korea, and she wants to see Vietnam. And she is 22 years young. And she's afraid of going there on, on her own. And I'm not sure whether I will or I can uh, uh, see her there. But it came up to my mind that it might be a good idea to have some point of possibility management, house, bridge house, or whatever, as a first point of, of um, yeah, of going there if and i'm asking for possibilities not uh, yes but with with so johannes not doing my help ego what's her name what's her name yes, yes johannes no what is her name her name elizabeth thank you elizabeth yeah elizabeth please ask elizabeth to give us a call okay a zoom call so we'll have a Zoom call okay. and then we'll, we can talk to her about it. Okay. Thank you. Cool. You're welcome. Yes. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Be an asshole. Withhold nothing. <laughs> Adapt to nothing. <laughs> Make the world more interesting. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thanks Thank you. Thank okay. you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye.